The regime is trying to destroy the rule of law. Despite what you have heard, John Durham is trying to save it. Don't miss this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 262 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show from Monday, October 17th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented an unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is really a different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, I made some observations about special counsel John Durham at the end of our last episode. I said some things I think other conservative analysts may be thinking but haven't actually said yet. Now with the defense and the prosecution having rested in Durham's prosecution of Igor Danchenko, we have updates, and I think it's important to share them with you from several different sources. Again, A lot of conservatives gave up on Durham years ago, but when Cash Patel came on my show recently and said, look, Durham is a a good guy, he's a stand-up guy, I've known him for many years, and Cash was just really encouraged by all the information that Durham was getting on the record, even in the Michael Sussman trial, who was found not guilty. And that gave me pause, because I know Cash Patel is a good guy. And that made me want to dig a little deeper. So on today's show, we're doing a deep dive into what's going on. And that's one of the reasons we're going to give you stuff from a number of different sources. First, we have to start with a great techno fog over at Substack.com with some startling revelations about what Durham uncovered when interrogating FBI agents on the stand of his last day of taking testimony, Friday, October 14th. Now, Technofog is a former federal prosecutor himself. I wish I could remember his real name because it came out a while back, but I, I don't remember. Anyway, the article in his substack is entitled Igor Danchenko Trial Revelations, Team Mueller's Obstruction. Have you heard about this anywhere? I'd be surprised. He says, on Friday, special counsel John Durham finished presenting evidence in the Igor Danchenko trial. The most damning part of the day, if not the trial, testimony that FBI supervisors 
within the Mueller special counsel refused requests to interview a source for the Steele dossier, longtime Democrat activist Charles Dolan. But first, we start with a redirect examination of a witness from Thursday afternoon, FBI Special Agent Kevin Helson, who handled Danchenko when he was a confidential human source. Technofog had a prior article discussing FBI Agent Helson's investigative failures at length because Durham brought them out at length in the trial. Anyway, Durham questioned Helson Friday about efforts to determine the Danchenko connection with Charles Dolan in the summer of 2017. By that time, the Mueller special counsel had been going on since May 2017 and had on its own taken part in the last Carter Page FISA renewal. Did you know about that? Again, what's, what's so important about Carter Page and FISA? The FBI kept on lying to the FISA court, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, kept on lying to them about Carter Page and about the Steele dossier so they could spy on Carter Page and in turn spy on Donald Trump and the whole campaign transition team and even administration. Okay? Anyway, I digress. Technofog says, if you recall from our last articles, Danchenko had been an FBI confidential human source since March 2017. Once Mueller was appointed, FBI agent Helson was the go-between asking Danchenko questions posed by the then special counsel's team. By June 2017, the Mueller special counsel had developed information that Democrat Charles Dolan may have been a source of the Steele dossier. They passed questions about Charles Dolan to FBI agent Helson. Question, who did those Dolan questions come from? Answer, it came from the Mueller investigative team, particularly Ms. Amy Anderson. Now, that was a question and answer from Durham. Durham also cleaned up Helson's sloppiness. The previous day, Helson testified that Danchenko didn't know the Steele dossier was going to the FBI. Helson admitted he didn't have any evidence to support that conclusion that he had come to. Durham's question. You were asked a question yesterday that you adopted. You were asked a question about, well, the defendant didn't know that Steele's reports were going to the FBI, and you said, yes. Do you have any independent knowledge of that? Answer, no. Question. That's just what the defendant told you, right? Answer, yeah. Question. So when you told the jury that he, Mr. Danchenko, didn't know that they were going to the FBI, you don't know that to be the case. Answer, I had no other knowledge that suggested that, no. Question, right. There's no independent evidence of any sort, correct? Answer, yes, correct. FBI agent Helson was also asked about Danchenko's lack of complete honesty with respect to his interactions with Democrat activist Charles Dolan and his travels to Moscow. As you'll see, Helson's answers also implicate his own failure to fully investigate a source. Durham question. Did Mr. Danchenko 
tell you about his having been in Moscow in June 2016? Answer, no, he did not tell me that. Question, did he tell you anything about his having met with or seen Mr. Dolan in Moscow of June of 2016? Answer, no, sir. Question, do you recall, sir, whether or not you ever learned the dates on which Mr. Danchenko was in Moscow in June of 2016? Answer, I learned of it later. Question, and do you remember when you learned at a later point in time he had been in Moscow in June of 2016, did you talk to him about that? Answer, no. Okay, Danchenko's June 2016 Moscow trip where he met with Charles Dolan has significant timing because Danchenko flew from Moscow to London to give a so-called report. Who was in London? Christopher Steele. Again, from the trial transcript. Question. And with respect to where Mr. Danchenko went when he left Moscow, is there anything that refreshes your recollection as to where? Answer. He went to London. Question. And with respect to that item, does it reflect what, if anything, he did in London on June 18th, 2016? Answer, he gave a report. Question, he's in London, he leaves on the 16th, and on the 18th, he reports that he had given a report? Answer, correct. Question, in London? Answer, in London. Durham also inquired about FBI agent Helson's October, October 24th, 2017 interview of Igor Danchenko. Helson described the purposes of that meeting, quote, this meeting was, in part, it was a direction from the Mueller investigative team bringing up the discrepancies in the Sergi Million matter, and they wanted me to go back specifically to ask the questions and get his response, unquote. Now, Technofog at this point says, just so we're clear, by October 24, 2017, the Mueller team knew there were issues with Danchenko's allegations about Sergi Million. At a minimum, they were aware of the discrepancies in Danchenko's claims about Million. And how did Danchenko respond? By changing his story. Again, from the trial transcript. Question. In that connection, sir, do you recall whether or not Mr. Danchenko at that time gave the same or somewhat different description of the number of contacts that he had had with Sergi Million? Answer, it was a different number. Question, so remind the jurors, if you would, in the, in the initial contacts that you had with Mr. Danchenko, how many times did he say he had contact with Million? Answer, one time. Question, and was that consistent? Answer, up until this moment. Now, the importance is twofold. First, it confirms to the Mueller special counsel that there are even more problems with Danchenko's story. Now, obviously, that means that this transcript was not from the trial. It was from earlier with the Mueller team trying to find out what the deal was with Danchenko. Second, it catches Danchenko in a lie that would, four-plus years later, be part of his own indictment. Then we get to the testimony of former FBI intelligence analyst Brittany Herzog. 
Herzog was with the FBI from 2008 through 2019 as an intelligence analyst with a primary focus on Russian counterintelligence. She described her role as an analyst who looks at information and tries to identify trends, patterns, and investigative next steps. She was assigned to the Directorate of Intelligence at FBI headquarters. Ms. Herzog was assigned to Special Counsel Mueller's office in July 2017. She described her role and chain of command with the Mueller team. Okay, Durham question. And what generally was your role with the Special Counsel Mueller's team? Answer. I was primarily, initially, to focus on looking into reports that the FBI had received on Russian matters. Question. All right. Did those reports have a particular name? Answer. We referred to them typically as the Steele dossier. Question. Now, as a member of Special Counsel Mueller's team, was there a chain of command? Answer, yes. Question. Can you describe the chain of command that you worked with? Answer, I reported directly to Special Intelligence Agent Brian Auten. Above him was Special Counsel Mueller. There were horizontal chains of reporting as well, so there was an attorney, a supervisory special agent, and then head of FBI personnel. Question. Okay, so you had occasion to work with special agents as well, correct? Answer, correct. Question. And who were some of the special agents that you worked with, Special Counsel Mueller? Answer. I worked with Supervisory Special Agent Amy Anderson and Supervisory Special Agent Joe Nelson. Now, Technofog says at this point, Ms. Herzog became familiar with the Steele dossier and with the parties involved in the Steele dossier once she joined the Mueller team. Durham question. And how did you become familiar with Mr. Steele? Answer. When I reported to the special counsel's office, July 2017, I had received background information on the investigation up until that point. Now, again, Technofog jumps in here and says, it was her job to, quote, look into the Steele dossier, unquote. She described this as, quote, trying to identify the sourcing for the claims in the dossier and specifically the national security threat with regard to the Russian influence piece, unquote. Ms. Herzog explains thusly, Durham question, and a lot of names appeared in those dossier reports. Answer, correct. Question, did you learn that there were a number of different sources that the defendant relied on? Answer, yes. Question, did you have a particular focus on any of those sources? Answer, there were a number of subsources that were identified for investigative next steps. Question, okay, and did you have a particular individual that you focused on? Answer, yes, there was an individual named Olga Galkina who was, when I was assigned to special counsel's office, was my primary focus initially. Now, compare all the testimony you've just been hearing from this FBI Russia specialist, this um, Brittany Herzog, compare that with the words of Robert Mueller from the summer of 2019 when he is 
giving testimony under oath. The House Judiciary Committee being questioned by U.S. Representative from Florida, Matt Gates, And this is very short. It's almost 24 seconds. But either this FBI Russian intelligence analyst, um, Brittany, is lying, right? Either Brittany Herzog is lying or former FBI director Robert Mueller is lying. So here's the back and forth real quick between Matt Gates and Robert Mueller. Quoting from the Steele dossier, extensive evidence of conspiracy between the Trump campaign team and the Kremlin. So here's my question. Did Russians really tell that to Christopher Steele or did he just make it all up and was he lying to the FBI? Uh, let me back up a second if I could and say, as I uh, said earlier, uh, with regard to the Steele, uh, that, uh, that's beyond my purview. Beyond his purview, huh? I mean, one of them's lying. Does this, uh, is Brittany woman have a reason to be lying? Brittany Herzog? I, I, I can't imagine. But I digress. Technofog continues. He says, how do we not conclude that Mueller lied to Congress? He says, unless his own team kept him in the dark about their own investigation of the Steele dossier. The title of this post references obstruction by the Mueller special counsel. Just to clarify, we're not saying that there will be charges of obstruction of justice from anyone on the Mueller team. We're not going to predict what comes next. By obstruction, we mean obstructing the truth or obstructing the efforts to determine the truth. We plan to dive deeper into this Mueller issue in the near future. Technofog says, back to Herzog. She took investigative steps to look into the Steele dossier. She investigated Olga Galkina. She also looked into Charles Dolan. Okay. Durham question. And what's your understanding of who Mr. Dolan is? Answer. Mr. Dolan, to my understanding, having reviewed FBI databases, had connectivity to both Mr. Danchenko and Ms. Galkina. Question. So your testimony is that you learned about Mr. Dolan through the various FBI databases. Answer. I believe information was provided to me as background when I onboarded with the special counsel's office and I became aware of more information as I researched. Okay, at this point, Technofog says, in fact, Herzog connected Charles Dolan to Olga Galkina, and also to those who had worked in the Russian government, such as Putin ally and confidant Dmitry Peskov. She checked Dolan's travel records, finding he had traveled to Cyprus, where Galkina was located, and also to Russia. She found Dolan's link to Galkina, a subsource for the Steele dossier of particular importance. Now, Herzog also discovered that Dolan and Danchenko had been in Moscow together and described the importance of that fact in her sworn testimony in front of John Durham when she said it was an important fact because Mr. Danchenko was identified as being a source for the Steele dossier and connectivity 
between Mr. Dolan and Danchenko was important, especially considering Mr. Dolan's connectivity to Dmitry Peskov, who, again, we just told you was uh, real tight with Putin. At this point, Herzog says, Special Counsel Kielty asked Ms. Herzog about her desire and the desire of counterintelligence analyst Amy Anderson and even Brian Auten to interview Dolan. Herzog was emphatic that she wanted the interview. Okay, so Kielty is a guy that works for Durham. Durham doesn't do all the questioning. He's got a staff there, um, as it should be, you know, in, in a courtroom. So Kielty is now asking her questions. He says, do you have a recollection of whether you had an interest in interviewing Mr. Dolan? Answer, yes. Question, why would you want to interview Mr. Dolan? Answer, I was concerned about a national security threat especially as it related to Mr. Dolan's connectivity to the sources and subsources of the dossier, as well as his connectivity to any Russian government officials. Okay, so Technofog at this point says, other members of the Mueller special counsel team, however, took the position to not investigate Mr. Dolan. Their side ultimately won. To the best of Brittany Herzog's knowledge, nobody at special counsel's team interviewed Mr. Dolan. Not that Herzog didn't try to convince others to look deeper into the dossier sources. Her file on Galkino, which referenced Charles Dolan, was uploaded into three different case files. Herzog did those because she, quote, wanted others to see it who had the authority to take action, unquote. And why did she take that step? We go back to the Q&A between um, Assistant Special Counsel Kielty and Brittany Herzog. Question, is there a reason why you serialized it in three separate case files? Answer, I wanted others to see it who had the authority to take action. Question, okay. Why don't you explain to the jury what that means? Answer. We have been instructed a special counsel's office not to take further action on the matter involving Mr. Dolan and Mr. Danchenko's relationship, and I believed it needed to be actioned. In other words, we, she's saying they needed to take action, regardless of what they've been instructed. Technofog says that report was specifically put into... One case file she believed would be reviewed by Washington Field Office, FBI headquarters, and the Inspector General, Harwitz. Herzog explains why she sent it to the Inspector General. Okay, we go back to Keelty's questions and her answers. Question, and for the benefit of the jury, to your knowledge, what is generally the Inspector General? Answer, the Inspector General looks at matters. Sorry, are you asking specifically that or just the Inspector General? Question, just generally, what the Inspector General does, to your knowledge? Answer, to my knowledge, the Inspector General reviews Department of Justice agencies to ensure that actions are being taken appropriately. Question, okay. So you wanted the Inspector General to see your report on Ms. Galkina, correct? Answer, correct. Question, 
And that's because Mr. Dolan's name was in it, correct? Answer, yes. Question, and you thought Mr. Dolan was an important individual? Answer, I believed that, yes. Question, and did you believe that further investigative steps should have been taken on Mr. Dolan? Answer, yes. Okay, now we come to the testimony of FBI Special Agent Amy Anderson. Hold on to something. It's about to get real up in here, y'all. Technofog tells us Agent Anderson, who works in the field of counterintelligence, was part of the Crossfire Hurricane Mueller team from April 2017 through January of 2018. Her initial assignment was to attempt to validate the Steele dossier to either verify the reporting or determine that it was not accurate. Anderson described her role and supervisors with special counsel Mueller's office. Durham question. What was your initial, who were you initially working with in that role at the special counsel's investigation? Answer. When I first arrived at the special counsel, I worked with supervisory intelligence analyst Brian Auten, as well as quite a few other intelligence analysts, Stephanie Lapar, Iva Drasanover. We had a team that was working the dossier in particular. Question, did you work with someone by the name of Brittany Herzog? Answer, I worked with Brittany a little bit later. She came in not at the very beginning, but maybe a month after, a month or two after. Question, And in terms of who you reported to at the special counsel's office, if you could, just tell us who you reported to. Answer, technically, I reported to Supervisory Special Agent Joe Nelson. Now, at this point, Technofog says, Anderson said she was interested in Dolan in particular, given his connection to Galkina and Danchenko. Durham question. And how did you learn of the connection between Mr. Dolan to Ms. Galkina and the defendant? Answer, I believe it was also database checks, and Ms. Galkina did tell us that she knew him, both of them. Question, and learning of Mr. Dolan's connection to the two individuals, what did you do with respect to Mr. Dolan? Did you look into him? Answer, I wanted to look into him. Now, at this point, Technofog tells us she also wanted to speak to Danchenko, but she had to do that through Agent Helson, Danchenko's Handler. Now, remember, remember at this point, the FBI is right in the middle of three and a half years of paying Danchenko to be a confidential human source, even though they knew he had lied to them. Okay, Technofog says she can't speak to, H- to uh, Danchenko directly. She has to do it through his, his FBI handler, Agent Helson. Here's how that process worked. Okay, Durham question. And just briefly explain to the jury how it might work. If you wanted to get information from Mr. Danchenko, how would you go about getting that? Answer, I would speak to the source handler. So in this case, I would speak to Agent Helson, and we would discuss what might be interesting for us to know, and then he would go and speak to his source. We do that for reasons of source safety so that not everyone knows who our sources are. So... Technofog, following up, says Agent Anderson would eventually fly to Cyprus with Brian Auten to interview Olga Galkina. She said Galkina was mostly forthcoming, except when it came to discussing Charles Dolan. 
This might be key here, y'all. All right, so Durham's question, and did you interview with her, Galkina, all days? Answer, yes, we did three days. Question, and would you characterize Ms. Galkina as forthcoming with her information about her role with the dossier and any information in it? Answer, she seemed mostly forthcoming. Question, you said mostly forthcoming. Was there a particular area that she was not forthcoming about? Answer, yes. She was hesitant in telling us about Mr. Dolan. Question, all right. Let's start with the beginning of these interviews. When you began interviewing Ms. Galkina, did you specifically ask her about Mr. Dolan or not? Answer, we did. Question, and if you could, how did she react when you asked her about Mr. Dolan the first time? Answer, she did not want to speak about him. Okay, now Technofog says, but Anderson kept pressing and eventually straight up asked if Dolan had a connection with a steel dossier. At that point, Galkina admitted Dolan's involvement. Now remember, who's Charles Dolan? Very tight friend of Hillary. Longtime Democrat Party activist. That Charles Dolan. Okay, Durham question. And did there come a time when you directly asked Ms. Galkina whether Mr. Dolan had a connection with the information in the dossier? Answer, yes, the last day. Question, all right. And can you describe for the jury how Ms. Galkina reacted when you asked her directly about that? Answer, she was slightly hesitant, and I was, we were in a car, and I had my sunglasses on, and she asked me to remove my sunglasses so she could look me directly in the eye before she confirmed that it was Mr. Dolan. Oh, my goodness. Sounds like she's terrified. Technofog says, Agent Anderson then prepared a report of the interviews and compiled a report on everything that she and analyst Herzog had compiled on Charles Dolan. That report was submitted to her supervisor, Supervisory Special Agent Joe Nelson. And here's what happened next. Durham question. All right, so with respect to Mr. Dolan and this memo that you've written, what, if anything, did you do with the memo? Answer, I submitted it to my supervisors. Question, and when you say your supervisors, who were your supervisors that you submitted this to? Answer. It would have been Special Supervisory Agent Joe Nelson as an immediate approver. Question, and what, if anything, happened after you submitted this memo? Answer, it sat for approximately three or four weeks. Question, and what, if anything, did you do after three or four weeks? Answer, I was told to close. Well, it was never opened. So I was told it was not going to be opened. Question, who told you that? Answer, Joe Nelson. At this point, Technofog says, how convenient that the Mueller special counsel ended an inquiry that would have implicated itself. Agent Anderson didn't have any personal knowledge as to why the interview request with Dolan was declined. We're confident John Durham asked that very question to supervisory special agent Joe Nelson, though. All right, now we get to the testimony of FBI Special Agent Ryan James. Agent James's purpose 
was to discuss evidence acquired by special counsel Durham's team through the course of their investigation. To briefly summarize, Special Agent Ryan James discussed, one, how they obtained telephone slash email slash Facebook records. Two, Danchenko's emails, call records, and Facebook postings. Three, Sergi Millian's travels in his telephone calls. Four, the time and dates of the calls between Danchenko and Dolan. Five, the lack of calls between Danchenko and Millian and the lack of the 10 to 15-minute call Danchenko purportedly received from someone he says he thought was Millian. And that wrapped up evidence for this case on Friday. Now, the court did, as reported, dismiss count number one of the indictment, which alleged Danchenko gave a false statement when asked whether he had talked to Mr. Dolan about anything that ended up in the dossier. The problem Durham always faced with count one was the FBI agent's lack of attention to detail. The word talked apparently has a very specific definition. The judge recognized as much. No surprise with that dismissal. As to the defense, while Danchenko did not testify and his attorneys did not present any evidence, closing arguments scheduled for Monday. See, Technofog wrote this over the weekend, and the closing arguments were done on Monday, and we'll have a lot on that coming up. He says, expect them to last an hour or less with jury deliberations to begin thereafter. The jury might give us a verdict on Monday afternoon at the earliest. Well, they didn't. They're going into a second day Tuesday. But the trial's biggest takeaway will be what we learned about the FBI and the Mueller special counsel. Yeah, yeah, you got Bob Mueller, former FBI director and special counsel, lying under oath to con- Congress saying, well, Steele dossier, no, that was, that was beyond my purview, bro. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing for you on that. Lying to Congress and helping to cover up. And again, if you heard my 12-minute closing monologue about Durham on the previous episode, there's no statute of limitations if the conspiracy is ongoing. Got it? I'm just, I'm just saying. People keep on thinking, oh, Durham's just uh, playing cover-up. He's, uh, he's just trying to cover up stuff. Statute of limitations is run. He's just running out the string. If it's an ongoing criminal, criminal conspiracy, there's no statute of limitations. And if you don't think January 6th was a, was a Fed setup, and if you don't think January 6th committee is a Fed setup, I'll even drag in Fauci and Burks pull the wool over our eyes so they could get, you know, a, an excuse for mail-in, mass mail-in voting in some of the swing states. I mean, to me, it's all part of the same thing. The Both of the fake impeachments, everything going back to at least 2016, if not earlier. If not earlier. That reminds me. Adam Housley. I'd forgotten all about that. Adam Housley who used to report for Fox News and got tired of being told what he could and couldn't say over there, 
he's been saying for several years that um, this whole thing is bigger than Trump and started before Trump announced he was running for president. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Adam Housley, you might remember him from a few years back from uh, from Fox, and he uh, he's a straight-up guy. He's just uh, a reporter. And he says this is bigger than Trump, and it predates Trump running for president. This goes way back. He said they did the same thing to Bernie Sanders in the previous election that they did to Trump. Okay, and, and who knows who else? If he's, if he's correct, who knows how far it goes back, all right? So I'm trying to present you content of value. That's what I'm trying to do. And there are only two ways we can continue doing this. One is with advertisers, and the other is with people becoming patrons. So um, we really appreciate our patrons, and we really appreciate our advertisers. And what we've got coming up next is audio from Mark Levin just going off on this whole situation. We got Levin. We got a lot more different sources explaining a lot of different aspects of Special Counsel John Durham's investigation. That's coming up straight ahead. Thank you, and God bless our advertisers. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. Do you have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo? Acid reflux? Eczema? Problems with your blood sugar? Maybe even hay fever? Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. 
Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. All right, thank you so much again to our advertisers and friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. TurnMyPowerOn.com, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. They are our friends, our advertisers, and our doctors, for that matter. They've helped me, helped my wife, helped so many people that we know. Also, thank you so much to our friend Mitch Ward at Red River Your Way, the Red River dealerships in the middle of the USA and Arkansas, where you can buy car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online the way you want to and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. I got my car with Mitch Ward. I think it's before he started uh, advertising with us even. Got a great deal. Got a great deal. All right, now, let us continue. Next, we have the great one, Mark Levin, who I was blessed and honored to fill in for numerous times on his nationally syndicated radio talk show. Well, he also does a weekend show on Fox News, Sunday nights. But last Saturday night, he went on Brian Kilmeade's show. And Kilmeade started off asking Levin about the million dollars the FBI offered Christopher Steele to prove his dossier was true and the fact that Steele couldn't do it. Kilmeade also mentions that that did not deter the FBI from continuing to use the dossier to go back over and over again to the FISA court for more requests to surveil American citizens, even though they knew the dossier wasn't true. So Kilmeade asks Mark Levin what he thinks about the revelation of the FBI's million-dollar offer to Christopher Steele. I thought it was a bribe. I thought they offered him a million dollars to do what they know couldn't be done, to uh, provide support for a document that was paid for by the Democrat Party, the highest echelons of the FBI, uh, the DNC lawyers, the uh, Clinton lawyers, they were all working together. They were leaking this stuff to the media. They were using it uh, to uh, commit crimes in front of the FISA court. This is the greatest dirty trick in American political history. So I think that $1 million was, hey, Chris, 
if you can confirm what's in the dossier, you'll get a million dollars. And I want to add a footnote to this, Brian. The, uh, the FBI is so out of control. It's so rogue. It's so Stasi-like at this point. We now have a leak again to the Washington Post, uh, which is a real paper for reprobates, to be honest with you. Uh, and that leak to the Washington Post is Donald Trump ordered his documents to be moved, or some of them, at Mar-a-Lago. And so now we have them. And so they go to former federal prosecutors, which are a dime a dozen. They go to Andrew Weissman, who's a real punk. They go to George Conway, who doesn't even fit in the, uh, the, the visual on the camera. And they all say, yeah, now, now they got Trump. He had a subpoena. He moved documents. He moved documents from here to here. Right. They were all at Mar-a-Lago, but they were in this room, and he moves it to his office over here. So now we got him. Now we got him, see? Because, because he moved his documents from here to here. It's only a matter of time when we indict him. Who offered Steele a million dollars? Because that guy is the one who needs to be indicted, and anybody who was in on it. As I said, that, to me, was a failed bribe attempt. All right, so at this point, Kilmeade responds. And so he's asking Mark Levin, in putting together the dossier, Danchenko, who evidently was on the FBI's payroll, eventually took a call from a Russian source who told him hearsay. He repeated the hearsay to Christopher Steele, who puts it into a dossier, it was financed by Hillary Clinton's camp, and then they say we have to verify this. Now, while this is still being verified, and it can't be verified because it's all made up, then FBI Director James Comey, all six foot nine of them, has to meet with President-elect Trump. He goes into the room and says, Mr. President, I need to speak to you. I got this information. It's really salacious. I don't know if it's true or not. That poisoned the well for President-elect Trump and his intelligence apparatus from there on in, and the FBI, and with Comey, who goes down and then records President Trump's reaction. So the question is, was Comey duped? Did he actually believe this was true? Is he in the dark? Is he a figurehead like the Queen of England or something? Or is this part of some elaborate scheme to destroy Trump before he could even take the job. Here's Mark Levin's response. Comey wasn't duped. If he was duped, he'd be angry at the people who duped him. I will say this. Uh, that put Comey in a position to blackmail the President of the United States, as it would have J. Edgar Hoover when he had information on Martin Luther King, yep. John Kennedy's affairs, Robert Kennedy's affairs. This is the problem over there at the FBI right now. So you had Comey going with fake information to the President of the United States. He goes over there and shows it to him. And what's he trying to prove? I have something on you. Yep. I never did that. What the hell is that, the President? I have something on you, which means what? You'll do what I want you, you to do. You better behave yourself. Yep. And by that, I mean you better do kind of what we want you to do, or I'm going to release that information. That's what's going on over there at the Federal Bureau of Instigation. Now you notice he didn't call the Federal Bureau of Investigation the Federal Bureau of Instigation, which is, you know, more appropriate. So then Kilmeade brings up the letter from 51 former agents of U.S. intelligence 
saying they looked at the Hunter Biden laptop story and they said it was classic Russian disinformation. It was published in all the newspapers. Everybody went with it. Then candidate Biden quoted it as 51 CIA agents said the laptop was Russian disinformation. So a crackhead who loves prostitutes in a stupor drops off a laptop at a computer repair shop, duped the CIA into saying this has got to be Russia. So Brett Baer finally had one of those CIA agents on. His name is David Priest, who wrote a book about how to get rid of a president. And this is how the exchange went when former CIA agent David Priest was questioned by Brett Baer about putting his signature on this letter. It has all the classic earmarks of a Russian campaign in the way it was disseminated and propagated through media. Do you regret signing onto the letter? Oh, absolutely not, because well, those words are still true. Do you think it has all the classic the earmarks. Of an election? Oh, absolutely not. Should, it has right? all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Exactly. The I difference between the an information campaign and a disinformation campaign not get to candidate and a misinformation campaign, it's not my fault if people don't look up definitions. So he's lying. He knew exactly what it meant and how it would be used. And he can't take a fair and honest interview. And Lord knows, uh, Brett Baer's no conservative. He's just asking straight questions, and the guy's talking over him. So that's not good. But after playing that clip of one of the former CIA agents, agents who signed the letters saying that the um, Hunter Biden laptop story had all the classic earmarks of Russian disinformation. Brian Kilmeade asked the great one, Mark Levin, what did you take away from that? That he's a slime ball and that uh, Brett Baer is an excellent journalist. I took that away. I also took away this. Somebody organized this letter. Somebody was behind it. These guys did not want Donald Trump reelected president of the United States. They put that letter out, and we need to get to the bottom of that if and when the Republicans take control of the House. Who was behind the letter? Was it the same frauds and phonies who were behind the dossier? The Democrat Party, let me just put it to you this way, as an institution is extremely evil. It's always been extremely evil. I don't care when you look back at eugenics 100 years ago, when you look back at slavery before that, when you look back at segregation, when you look at all the things the Democrat Party has done, and now it's swung the other way with what I call American Marxism and so forth, they do not want anything to get in the way of their agenda. And to use the FBI this way and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Department of Justice against parents and on and on and on, this damn government is way out of control and the Democrat Party is way out of control. That's what I make of it. Mark Levin's not one to mince words. Again, as I've said to you earlier, the deep dive into Durham is so important because the regime is trying to destroy the rule of law. And a lot of us thought Durham was just helping them do it. And now we're seeing evidence that, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. His reputation as a straight shooter, as a stand-up guy, preceded him, and his reputation was right. Because as Cash Patel told me a few weeks ago, he got, he's getting a lot of stuff on the record. 
about the perfidy of the FBI. And that may be more important than a guilty or not guilty verdict on these small fry. Cash Patel is a, is a brilliant lawyer, a brilliant national security expert, a lot smarter than me, and he's a stand-up guy. And I was so glad he told me that. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, so next we have um, Washington Examiner Report from Monday the 17th, Dateline, Alexandria, Virginia. Special Counsel John Durham took aim at the FBI in the closing stages of his trial against Steele dossier source Igor Danchenko. Closing arguments in the trial concluded Monday afternoon. The jury is now deliberating, addressing the elephant in the room, as he called it, at the trial, Durham made it clear that he believed the FBI had botched its Trump-Russia investigation, but that lies told to the Bureau about British ex-spy Christopher Steele's dossier still mattered. Durham said the FBI mishandled the investigation at issue, and the FBI didn't do what they should have done in the inquiry, bluntly saying the FBI failed here. He said the jury didn't have to feel bad for the FBI agents and stressed that his special counsel team is not here to defend the FBI's handling of the dossier. The special counsel also offered up possible options on the FBI's botching of the Trump-Russia investigation, rhetorically asking if the FBI was simply incompetent, working in coordination, or whatever. That's ominous. Washington Examiner says the trial has revealed Danchenko was on the FBI's payroll as a confidential human source from March 2017 to October 2020, three and a half years, even though they knew he was a liar. Before he was charged in November 2021 with five counts of making false statements to the Bureau, he's pleaded not guilty. Now, according to Durham, Danchenko anonymously sourced a fabricated claim about Trump 2016 campaign manager Paul Manafort to Charles Dolan, a Clinton ally who spent years, including 2016, doing work for Russian businesses and the Russian government. The judge threw out that charge before the jury could decide on it. Durham's indictment also says Danchenko lied to the FBI about a phone call he claims he received from someone he believed was Sergei Millian, a U.S. citizen who was born in Belarus, also, U.S. businessman, the steel source had said, told him about a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between then-candidate Donald Trump and the Russians, which the special counsel says is false. The trial also revealed the Justice Department provided Danchenko with partial immunity in January 2017. The immunity arrangement called for complete and truthful testimony from Danchenko. The agreement indicated that, quote, your client must answer all questions regarding the subject matter of the investigation and must not withhold that information, unquote, and that Danchenko was not supposed to, quote, falsely implicate any person, unquote, nor attempt to shield or protect anyone. Durham said the agreement was void if Danchenko lied, which the special counsel says he did. FBI, see, each different article we have, 
each different approach has new information that the last ones didn't, okay? Anyway, Washington Examiner continues, FBI Supervisory Intelligence Analyst Brian Auten, who testified during the trial last week, was one of the FBI agents who interviewed Danchenko in January 2017. He revealed the FBI had offered Christopher Steele an incentive of up to $1 million if he could prove the allegations of collusion in his dossier. But the FBI analyst said the former MI6 agent was unable to corroborate the claims. FBI agent Kevin Helson, who was the handling agent for Danchenko, testified that the dossier source went on to become a key part of the FBI's efforts to combat Russian influence in the U.S., despite never being able to corroborate any of the dossier. Helson made an October 2020 request to pay Danchenko a lump sum of $346,000, and his testimony revealed that would have brought the total amount the Russian lawyer had been paid by the Bureau over a few years up to a total of $546,000. Now, the lump sum payment request was denied. A member of the FBI's Human Intelligence Validation Unit also suggested that Danchenko may have been part of Russian intelligence services, according to court testimony. And Durham highlighted how Helson apparently did not do his due diligence in looking into the Russian analyst's background before signing him up as a confidential human source. All right, so that is the Washington Examiner with a lot of new information about Durham's prosecution that we didn't get anywhere else yet. Any of that new to you? A lot of it was new to me. Okay, now let's take a look at what Andrew McCarthy is saying in his, in his new op-ed at the New York Post. As a former federal prosecutor himself, McCarthy has an insight a lot of us would not have. His column is entitled, Kudos to John Durham for Exposing the Truth of Russiagate. And here's what he says. A prosecutor can be an agent of sunlight or an agent of cover-up. John Durham is letting the sun shine. The Russiagate special prosecutor has taken on a tough case, indicting Igor Danchenko, the principal subsource, for the discredited Steele dossier, which was penned by former British spy Christopher Steele and commissioned by the Hillary Clinton campaign to smear her GOP rival, Donald Trump, as a Kremlin mole. The peddling of a false narrative of Trump collusion with Russia was a product of the Clinton campaign and the FBI. Voluminous reports by the Justice Department's Inspector General have demonstrated that the Bureau's hierarchy was seized by anti-Trump animus. The FBI knowingly allowed itself to be fed partisan opposition research that was sensational, salacious, often flat-out ridiculous, but always because it portrayed Trump as a traitorous lout, too good to check. McCarthy says, 
There was no shortage of nod and wink. The two clever by half G-men, who liked to project themselves as above politics as they meddle in election after election, feigned some distance between themselves and the Clinton campaign. Knowing DNC lawyer Michael Sussman was attached at the hip to the Clinton campaign, the Bureau let him pretend otherwise when he delivered bogus data advertised as provoking a Trump-Kremlin communications back channel. Knowing Steele's mission was to dig up dirt on Trump for the benefit of the Clinton campaign, the Bureau indulged his just-a-concerned former intelligence officer pretensions. For its part, the Clinton team purported to despise the FBI, blaming then-director James Comey for improperly disclosing evidence of Hillary's national security recklessness in the email scandal. Conveniently forgotten was that she was able to run only because Comey proclaimed that she shouldn't be indicted. Behind this public theater, Clinton operatives exploited their bureau contacts and in hopes of nailing Trump, the FBI, with eyes wide open, allowed itself and its awesome investigative powers to be exploited. The culmination of this collusive arrangement, one of the great political dirty tricks in American history, was the FBI peddling to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court under oath the uncorroborated rumor, innuendo, and sheer fabrications of the Steele dossier. Not once, not twice, not thrice, but four separate times over close to a year and for months into his presidency, agents depicted Trump as a clandestine agent of Moscow. This is where Danchenko comes in. A KG operator whom the FBI credibly suspected as a Russian asset a dozen years earlier. He was the main source of intelligence, which is apparently Russian for gossip among drinking buddies, that Christopher Steele turned into the fake reports that comprised the dossier. In his probe into the origins of the Bureau's Trump-Russia investigation, codenamed Crossfire Hurricane, John Durham discovered that although Danchenko acknowledged that the Steele dossier was farcical, he also appeared to have misled the FBI regarding his sources. In particular, he made up a conversation with a guy named Sergey Millian, a loose Trump associate whom Danchenko doesn't know and never actually communicated with. The result was a dossier claim that Trump and the Kremlin were in a conspiracy of cooperation. Now, Durham charged Danchenko with four counts of lying about Million, in addition to a count involving Danchenko's alleged concealment of a second source, Clinton ally Charles Dolan, which the presiding trial judge dismissed due to vagueness on Friday at the close of the prosecution's evidence. It is a tough case for Durham because it's hard to expect a jury to convict someone for lying to the FBI about comparatively less serious matters when the FBI itself was blatantly and serially dishonest with a federal court with apparent impunity. That's why Durham deserves our praise. Under the circumstances, he has a motive to soft-pedal the FBI's misconduct, to try to keep the jury focused on the defendant who is actually charged in the case. But instead... Durham has done exactly the opposite.
He has been transparent about the FBI's malfeasance. It was Durham who proved the FBI offered Steele a cool million bucks if he could prove his claims against Trump and that neither Steele nor Danchenko could do so. It was Durham who proved that the FBI then swore four times that the unverified dossier information was verified. It was Durham who proved that even after finally interviewing Danchenko after the first two sworn applications and hearing from him that the dossier was nonsense, the FBI continued relying on the anti-Trump dossier, willfully concealing Danchenko's disavowal of it from the Justice Department and the court. It was also Durham who proved that even after the dossier debacle, the FBI signed Danchenko as a paid informant, lavishly paying him $200,000 over three years, with one agent unsuccessfully trying to get approval to pay him another $346,000 before the gravy train was finally derailed. Durham also proved that the agent who signed Danchenko as an informant falsely claimed to the bureau unit that monitors informants that there was no derogatory information about him. That is, the agent failed to check the Bureau's own records showing that the FBI had suspected Danchenko as a Russian asset. And that was only the most egregious of the rudimentary due diligence failures to probe his background, his motivations, and foreign government interactions for that matter. Understandably, the more appalled the jury becomes, over the FBI's behavior, the less inclined it may be to convict Danchenko. So there is risk for Durham, who knows the media Democrat complex is rooting against him. I believe he's more prudent than that, though. John Durham is experienced and honorable enough to know that his only chance of prevailing is to show the jury that he is uncovering government misconduct and incompetence and not concealing it. And he knows, no matter what the jury decides about Danchenko, the highest public interest is accountability for the unholy alliance between politics and law enforcement. Kudos to the special counsel for exposing it. Okay, that's Andy McCarthy over the New York Post in better form than anything I've seen him put out in a long time. Now, Eric Garland is one of those liberal commentators who thinks he plays it straight, you know, sees himself as giving you the straight, unvarnished news as if that were possible. But when even he goes out there on Twitter and says, sometimes I wonder if the greatest value in the Sussman and Danchenko trials is highlighting the alarming systemic violations of FBI, DOJ, and FISA court protocols from 2016-2020, more than the convictions, you realize even a lib like Eric Garland, no relation to the Attorney General, realized something. He realizes something. And perhaps you realize that Durham is on to more than most of us have given him credit for quite some time. And then there is the great Jack Cashill over an American thinker who weighs in with a remarkable new article entitled Durham's In Your Face Danchenko Gambit. 
Jack Cashel says, in the larger drama we'll call Russiagate, Igor Danchenko gets nowhere near top billing. Even today, after his week-long trial, not one American out of ten could identify this FBI informant by name. Now, that's a very important point because a lot of times people in the news are in a bubble and people in politics are in a bubble and they'll say, well, the American people think, well, the American people don't even know about this guy, okay? Anyway, Cashill continues. Fewer still could tell you word one about the drama's other walk-ons, Sergi Millian and Charles Dolan. Although the Democrats and major media are anxious to see all three of these minor players vanish into the ether, Special Counsel John Durham made future stars out of them all. Danchenko was accused of lying to the FBI about his relationships with both Million and Dolan. These are lies, said Durham's co-counsel Michael Keelty in his opening statement that the FBI should have uncovered but never did. So saying, Team Durham put Washington on notice. The trial was not really about Danchenko at all. It was about the FBI, the Department of Justice, and finally, the Mueller investigation. Keelty said, the evidence in this trial will show that the Steele dossier would cause the FBI to engage in troubling conduct that would ultimately result in the extended surveillance of United States citizens. That conduct, the trial revealed, included offering Christopher Steele what amounted to a million-dollar bribe to corroborate his infamous dossier, paying Danchenko to be a confidential human source after he proved to be a serial liar, and basing a multi-year persecution of President Trump on information the FBI had every reason to believe was bunk. The attempted bribe revealed on day one of the trial should have stopped the presses. Specifically, Durham asked FBI Supervisor Brian Auten what the FBI offered Steele for corroborative information. Auten said Mr. Steele was offered anywhere up to a million dollars for any information, documentary, physical evidence, anything of that sort which could help to prove the allegations. Now, this offer reeks of desperation. The FBI made it in early October 2016, two weeks before it filed its first FISA application against American businessman Carter Page. As Auten admitted, Steele did not and could not provide anything, ever. Yet without any corroboration, the FBI went ahead and filed not just one, but four FISA applications against Carter Page with the unproven steel information as its foundation, a clear violation of FISA law. Sergi Millian, like Carter Page, was an innocent bystander. The Russia-born Danchenko cited the Belarusian businessman, Sergi Millian, as one of Donald Trump's co-conspirators and the information he provided to Christopher Steele. A former FBI informant himself, this fact came as news to the media, Sergi Millian proved to be innocent of any conspiratorial involvement. Auten conceded, however, that dossier information indicting 
million was included in the October 2016 FISA application and all subsequent renewals, even after his innocence had been established. Charles Dolan was not innocent at all. A longtime Democrat operative with Russian ties, Dolan was Danchenko's principal subsource. He just made stuff up and fed it to Danchenko, who in turn fed it to Christopher Steele, who fed it to the Clinton campaign, the media, and the FBI, who collectively shared this unvetted nonsense with the world for several years. At trial's end, the judge dismissed the one count involving Dolan for semantic reasons. Predictably, perhaps intentionally, CNN missed the real story. Boy, that'd be a first, wouldn't it? <laughs> they headlined their article by saying, Judge drops one of five charges against Trump-Russia dossier source in blow to special counsel Durham. Well, this is no blow. Dolan was not on trial. By tying the FBI investigation back to the Hillary campaign and the DNC, Durham accomplished what he needed to accomplish. A further revelation of the trial was that the FBI leadership resisted all efforts by its agents to interview Charles Dolan or share information about him with the Mueller investigation. America's newsrooms are having a hard time digesting all this. The editors of the New York Times remain proud of their 2018 Pulitzer Prize for their, don't laugh, quote, deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage in the public interest that dramatically furthered the nation's understanding of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and its connections to the Trump campaign, unquote. Not wanting to give the Pulitzer back, the editors continue to ignore or downplay all evidence that challenges their long-since discredited narrative. As late as April 2022, Charlie Savage, the New York Times-Washington correspondent, was claiming, quote, Donald J. Trump and his backers say revelations about the Steele dossier show the Russia investigation was a hoax. That is not what the facts indicate, unquote. So he's still lying as recently as this year. Wow. Jack Cashel continues in American Thinker, the word hoax does not do the Russia investigation justice. Greatest political scandal ever is closer to the mark. As Durham proved, the FBI and the DOJ turned a willfully blind eye to the dirtiest trick in the nation's political history, and the media gave themselves awards for covering it all up. For the actual facts... I would recommend Technofog's reporting at the Reactionary, you know, some of which I read to you earlier. This summary only skims the surface of the official skullduggery Durham revealed in just four days of trial. In addition to exposing the conscious malfeasance of the FBI brass, Durham also established the organizational structure of the whole Russia investigation from the FBI's Operation Crossfire Hurricane through to the Mueller inquiry. This information should prove useful in any further investigation when the real culprits are indicted on RICO charges. 
Well, Jack Cashel, from your lips to God's ears, that would be wonderful. RICO charges. Do you know what RICO charges would be? Well, let me explain it to you. RICO is the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. It's U.S. federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of action, for that matter, for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. And like I say, everything since at least 2016, Adam Housley says before 2016, but since at least 2016, both fake impeachments, probably the funding of the Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots, Fauci and Burks shutting the country down so they could steal the election in 2020, Russia collusion hoax, Ukraine money laundering. I mean, the January 6th committee, it's all part of one thing, my humble opinion, and you're entitled to it. I would love to see a RICO situation at some point. Oh, man, would I? Okay, now. Let's go to the Wall Street Journal. Kimberly Strassel does an op-ed at the Wall Street Journal last Thursday evening, October 13th, entitled Durham's FBI Indictment. Now, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I'm not trying to do the same thing over and over again, but these people are brilliant and they are eloquent, and I think you deserve to hear what they have to say. You've probably seen Kimberly Strassel before if you've ever watched Fox News. She comes on there as a commentator on a regular basis. Or at least used to. I haven't seen her lately. And so she says over the uh, Wall Street Journal, Special Counsel John Durham stepped into a federal courtroom last week officially to try Igor Danchenko for lying to the FBI as part of the 2016 Russia collusion scam unofficially Mr. Durham is putting the Federal Bureau of Investigation in itself in, on trial for incompetence and political chicanery. That's the new unmistakable mission of the Durham prosecutions. The special counsel is using tried and true lying to the feds charges to unravel for the public the hoax, which on its face requires painting the FBI as dupes, yet every filing and witness question is instead building Mr. Durham's case of rank FBI malfeasance. Do you get what he's doing here? I know, I know, I know, I know. You're probably thinking, so why isn't he indicting them? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I know what you're thinking. But I digress. Kimberly Strassel continues in the Wall Street Journal. She says, Mr. Danchenko pleaded not guilty. His trial, and prior to it, Mr. Durham's unsuccessful prosecution of Democrat lawyer Michael Sussman, has by now yielded a scandalous portrait of an FBI willing to take nearly any step and cut any corner to harm Donald Trump. The FBI commenced its ugly path July 31, 2016, when it opened its crossfire hurricane investigation into whether Mr. Trump's campaign was colluding with Russia based on uninformed hearsay from a low-level aide named George Papadopoulos. 
It also began receiving reports from British former spy Christopher Steele, a dossier containing allegations so surreal as to defy logic. The FBI rushed to meet with Mr. Steele in October of 2016. It had undertaken no due diligence on its source and had been unable to verify a single dossier claim and never would. I think it's important to hear those words again. That's why I'm reading the Wall Street Journal op-ed from Kimberly Strassel to you. At that meeting, it nonetheless took the astonishing step of offering Mr. Steele up to a million dollars in taxpayer money to legitimize his own information. Usually the FBI pays another party to verify a source report. Mr. Steele was still unable to verify anything. He initially even refused to tell the FBI the names of his sources. FBI supervisory analyst Brian Auten admitted to the court last week that while the Bureau had zero confirmation of any dossier details, it made the document's claims central to an October 21, 2016 application for a secret surveillance warrant against former Trump campaign official Carter Page. It did so despite knowing that Mr. Steele was in the employ of opposition research firm Fusion GPS, itself paid by the Clinton campaign, a fact so damning the FBI cloaked it in a convoluted footnote to its application. It proceeded despite suspecting and later confirming that Mr. Steele was blabbing to the press on behalf of the Clinton campaign, breaking FBI source rules. Early drafts of the Carter Page application blamed a press leak on Mr. Steele, but the FBI ultimately stripped out that crucial info even as it vouched that Mr. Steele was reliable. The FBI also omitted exculpatory evidence, including that Mr. Page worked as a contact for another U.S. intelligence agency for years. The Justice Department Inspector General ultimately documented 17 significant omissions and inaccuracies in the application, most of which happened to work in the FBI's favor. The FBI didn't bother to interview Mr. Steele's primary source, Mr. Danchenko, until January 2017. Never mind that the Bureau had itself opened a counterintelligence investigation into Mr. Danchenko in 2009 on concerns he was a national security threat. It was closed in 2011 when the FBI believed he had left USA. Mr. Danchenko further undermined the dossier starting in January 2017. He said Mr. Steele had misstated or exaggerated many of his statements that he had no proof of the claims and that it was hearsay, the kind of conversation he had with friends over beers, according to the Inspector General's report. Now, the FBI kept quiet that its source had debunked his own work product and instead used dossier info to renew the Carter Page surveillance warrant three more times. It rewarded Mr. Danchenko in March 2017 by putting him on the payroll as a confidential human source where he stayed until October 2020. While Mr. Durham presents evidence Mr. Danchenko lied to FBI handlers, there's as much evidence the FBI closed its eyes to glaring problems in his story. One example, according to a prosecution filing, Mr. Danchenko told the FBI that businessman Sergey Millian 
called him in late July 2016 to confirm a sensational claim about Mr. Trump and prostitutes in a Moscow hotel. Yet Mr. Danchenko reported this confirmation to Mr. Steele in June 2016, a month before the supposed call. Mr. Durham says he will present evidence that there never was such a call. Mr. Auten admitted last week that the FBI never checked Mr. Danchenko's claims by reviewing call logs or travel records, even as its dossier went up in flames in early 2017, former FBI Director James Comey schemed for the media to publish the document. The FBI used what it knew was an evidence-free fog of collusion as an excuse to entrap National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. It sat mute as collusion claims pressured Attorney General Jeff Sessions to recuse himself and as Mr. Comey arranged for Robert Mueller to run a 22-month probe into bogus accusations, a probe that in retrospect looks to have been launched to whitewash the FBI's actions. Partisanship and incompetence aren't crimes, so the FBI isn't in the dock, but Mr. Durham is making the case for the public, and it is as ugly as they come. Well, right there at the end... She lost me because clearly it was a crime to lie to the FISA court. They committed all kinds of crimes. And, and, and it wasn't because they were incompetent. They're in on it. She did a great job until like the next to last sentence there. <sighs> well, bless her heart. Now, if you have... Listen to the Doc Washburn show for any length of time at all. You'll know that I'm a big fan of one Margot Cleveland over the Federalist.com. Now, Margot Cleveland is the Federalist senior legal correspondent. And she has a new article out entitled, Did Danchenko Lie to the FBI as Jury Decides His Fate? Here's what you need to know. She says a Virginia jury will begin deliberations Monday in the criminal case special counsel John Durham brought against Steele dossier primary subsource Igor Danchenko for allegedly lying to the FBI. Here's what you need to know about the charges, the law, and the evidence presented during last week's trial to understand the case and the eventual jury verdict. First of all, the charges. In November 2021, the special counsel's office charged Danchenko in a five-count indictment with lying to the FBI related to his role as Christopher Steele's primary subsource for the notorious dossier that enabled Obama administration surveillance of the Trump campaign. Again, with each one of these I read, I give you new information, and that's why I'm doing it. Margot Cleveland continues, the first count of the indictment alleged that Danchenko lied when on June 15, 2017, he responded no to this question from his handler identified during the trial as Special Agent Helson, who asked him, you had never talked to Chuck Dolan about anything that showed up in the dossier, right? Dolan, 
a longtime Democrat operative and Clinton crony, had worked with Danchenko in mid-2016 through the fall, with Danchenko assisting Dolan in organizing a conference in Moscow. Danchenko had also introduced one of his friends who was looking for a public relations firm to Dolan. Amid these interactions, Danchenko emailed Dolan, asking Dolan for any inside information about Paul Manafort's removal from the Trump campaign. In response to Danchenko's email, Dolan claimed he, quote, had lunch with a GOP friend who knows the players, unquote, and learned that Trump's former primary campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, hated Manafort. During the trial, Dolan admitted he invented the GOP friend and instead concocted the supposed insider information. Nonetheless, a nearly identical claim appeared in the Christopher Steele dossier. While the trial evidence established that Danchenko had communicated with Dolan via email concerning Paul Manafort's removal from the Trump campaign, details later summarized in the Steele dossier on Friday, presiding federal judge Anthony Tringa dismissed the related false statement charge contained in count one of the indictment. Judge Tringa, a George W. Bush appointee, held that the special counsel could not prevail on its false statement charge against Danchenko because the evidence presented at trial failed to show Danchenko had ever actually talked with Dolan about Manafort. Here, the court stressed that the word talked literally means to deliver or express in speech, to express, communicate, or exchange ideas or thoughts by means of spoken words, to convey or exchange ideas, thoughts, information, and so on by means of speech. So the court held, applying that definition, the evidence in this case establishes that Mr. Danchenko's answer was literally true because the government failed to introduce any evidence that Mr. Danchenko verbally communicated with Dolan about the Manafort allegations that ended up in the Steele dossier. Judge Tringa further noted the government had failed to present any evidence that would allow the jury to find that Mr. Danchenko understood the word talk more broadly than its standard meaning. Consequently, as a matter of law, the government could not prevail on the false statements charge related to Dolan as alleged in count one of the indictment, and Judge Tringa dismissed that count. All right, let's move on to Sergi Millian counts two through five. The remaining counts of the indictment Counts two through five. Charge that Danchenko lied to his FBI handler, Helson, on four separate occasions, March 16th, May 18th, October 24th, and November 16th, 2017. When he told Special Agent Helson he had received an anonymous call in late July from an individual he believed, was Sergi Million. That would have been late July 2016. Because he's making these false statements the next year. At the time of the supposed call for Million, Million was the president of the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce and a supporter of Donald Trump. According to Danchenko, however, during their approximate 15-minute telephone conversation, Million supposedly told Danchenko 
there is a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between the Trump campaign and Russian officials. Danchenko also told the FBI that the individual whom he believed was Million had agreed to meet in New York, but then never showed up. Steele later incorporated the assertions Danchenko attributed to Sergey Million into the dossier, and based on those allegations and other allegations, obtained four surveillance orders from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, court to intercept the emails and telephone conversations of Carter Page. The government maintained in its indictment that Danchenko never received a call from an individual he believed to be Million, and that lie affected its investigation of the Steele dossier. Danchenko sought dismissal of the four accounts related to his alleged lies about his conversation with an individual he believed to be Million. While the trial court did not grant Danchenko's motion, it also did not deny it. Rather, the court said it was, quote, not prepared at this juncture to conclude that the evidence is insufficient as a matter of law to sustain a conviction, and the better course at this point is to reserve on this aspect of the motion pending a verdict, unquote. Now that the court reserved ruling Danchenko's motion to dismiss the full remaining counts suggests that should Danchenko be found guilty, the court may nonetheless overturn the jury verdict and hold that the evidence is insufficient to convict Danchenko under Section 2001 of the Federal Criminal Code. A conviction under Section 2001 requires the government to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Danchenko made a false statement in a matter involving a government agency, here the FBI. He made that statement knowingly or willfully, and the false statement was material to the FBI's functioning. All right, let's move on to the trial evidence. During last week's trial, the special counsel presented evidence on each of these elements, calling six witnesses over the course of four days. Brian Auten, an FBI supervisor analyst charged with leading the analysts who assisted the special agents running the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Kevin Helson, an FBI special agent in the Washington field office and Danchenko's handler. Charles Dolan. Brittany Herzog, a now former intelligence analyst for the FBI who was on the Mueller special counsel team. Amy Anderson, a supervisory special agent on the Mueller team, and Ryan James, a special agent also assigned to Mueller's investigation. Danchenko's legal team thoroughly questioned the government's witness on cross-examination but opted not to call any witnesses, and thus the jury never heard from Danchenko. Million also did not testify, refusing to return to the United States out of fear for his and his family's safety. What the jury heard, however filled some 1,100 transcript pages with a government presenting testimony and supporting documentation indicating that Danchenko represented to his handler on the four dates specified in the indictment and that he had received a telephone call from an individual he believed to be Million. While the defense highlighted through its questioning of the witnesses that Danchenko never claimed to be certain of the identity of the anonymous caller, as the government will stress in its closing statement, which they did. The issue isn't whether Danchenko expressed certainty in identifying Million as a caller. 
The issue is whether Danchenko genuinely believed that Millian had called him. The government is arguing he didn't, highlighting that in his initial email to Millian, Danchenko invited Millian to contact him via phone or email, supplying Millian with a cell number and his email address, but that a subpoena issued to Danchenko's cell phone provider showed no incoming calls during the relevant time frame that could have been Millian or any other anonymous caller for that matter. In response, Danchenko's attorneys will remind the jury that Danchenko told the FBI the anonymous call may have come through on a calling app, like Signal, that would not show up on his cell phone records. Danchenko never mentioned a calling app in his message to Millian, the prosecutors will counter, and with numerous different calling apps, Millian would have no way of knowing which one to use. The special counsel's team will likewise stress that the emails admitted at trial showed that when Danchenko intended to use a calling app, he would reference it in his communications. Prosecutors will further highlight the second email Danchenko sent to Millian that made no mention of a missed meeting or a missed telephone call. Here, Danchenko will counter that, of course, their client didn't raise the call with Millian since the caller wanted to remain anonymous. In addition to countering the prosecution's arguments, as noted above, Danchenko will stress to the jury that Auten testified to both the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Office of Inspector General that he believed Danchenko was being truthful about his subsources. FBI agent Helson's testimony that he trusted Danchenko and found Danchenko a credible and valuable source over the years he handled him will also help the defense. Here, the defense will likely stress the number of cases Danchenko assisted with and also the supposed harm to national security Durham's prosecution has caused by outing Danchenko as a confidential human source and thereby forcing the FBI to drop him. Look for Danchenko's attorneys to hint that political payback underlies the case while Durham's team will counter that FBI agent Helson's glowing review of Danchenko by stressing that Danchenko had been a target of an espionage case and that Helson failed to take recommended safeguards to ensure Danchenko's loyalties lie with the FBI, such as giving him a polygraph exam. The defense team will likewise stress the timing involved, highlighting that shortly after Danchenko emailed Millian, Millian emailed their mutual friend to inquire to find out who Danchenko was. It was shortly after that email that Danchenko claimed he received the anonymous phone call. Further corroborating Danchenko's story, his attorneys will argue, is a last-minute train ticket he bought to travel to New York where the anonymous person supposedly had agreed to meet Danchenko, as well as a Facebook post Danchenko made while in New York stating he had a meeting that evening. Travel records also show Millian arrived in New York from overseas during this time frame. All of these details, the defense will argue, indicate that Millian, in fact, called Danchenko. Danchenko will also attack the materiality element and claimed that even if Danchenko had lied, the trial evidence established that his purported falsehoods had no effect on the investigation. 
The legal standard for materiality, however, only requires a false statement to have a natural tendency to influence or be capable of influencing either a discrete decision or any other function of the agency to which it is addressed. And thus, that the Crossfire Hurricane team had a preordained conclusion in mind that Trump colluded with Russia is legally irrelevant to the question of materiality. Furthermore, John Durham skillfully elicited from the FBI witnesses that had they known Danchenko never received the supposed call from Sergey Millian, that information would have been important to the investigation in several ways. That having been said, a jury having heard blunder after blunder by the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane team may feel any lie by Danchenko is unworthy of punishment. As this concise summary of the evidence demonstrates, over the course of four days of trial, the special counsel's office and Danchenko's defense team both elicited from the half-dozen witnesses evidence that could support a conviction or justify an acquittal of Danchenko. There are two facts, however, that may be Danchenko's undoing in the jury's eyes. First, in his testimony, FBI agent Helson stressed that handlers will review intel previously provided by their confidential human sources to see if the source might remember more details, but also to assess whether a source is lying. On the latter point, Helson noted that it is difficult for a confidential human source to remember his lies. So by asking a source to repeat the intel, the FBI is better able to assess when a source is lying. Danchenko's handler, Helson, would also testify that upon asking Danchenko to explain his communications with Millian again, Danchenko claimed he spoke on the phone two times with the individual he believed to be Millian. But Danchenko never before claimed they had spoken two times. That contradiction may well lead the jury to conclude Danchenko had lied about believing Millian called him. The jury may likewise conclude Danchenko lied about believing Millian had called him because, as Durham's team stressed during questioning, it makes no sense that a supporter of Donald Trump would then provide a tip disparaging of Trump to an unknown individual. Monday morning, Danchenko's attorneys and Durham's team... Oh, so she wrote this, like, late Sunday night, apparently. Okay. Later Monday morning, Danchenko's attorneys and Durham's team will make many, if not all, of these arguments in their closing statements, and then it will be up to the jury to decide Danchenko's fate and Durham's fate as well. That's Margot Cleveland, senior legal correspondent at The Federalist, article entitled, Did Danchenko Lie to the FBI? As jury decides his fate, here's what you need to know. Hey, wait a minute, what's this? The great Jeff Carlson over the Epic Times reminds us six of Danchenko's alleged sources came forward and signed affidavits denying having ever told Steele or Danchenko anything in relation to the dossier. Did you know that? Have you heard that anywhere else? Last but not least, because I am determined to continue bringing you content you're not going to get anywhere else, there is a thread from the great 
Well, this guy, I don't know his real name, but over on Twitter, he's got a lot of followers. He calls himself Kingmaker, big if true. All right. So let's look at what Kingmaker, big if true, says. This is a thread about what comes next in the Durham investigation. Citing anonymous persons with knowledge, the press says Durham was ordered by Attorney General Merrick Garland to submit a final report last May, and that that date has been moved back until after the Danchenko trial. There are other possibilities that I'll discuss. First, if the press is correct, it's useful to understand what the final report would look like. The start would be to report on what Durham was ordered to do as special counsel. That's found in Bill Barr's order, and he links to that. And he has a quote from it. The special counsel is authorized to investigate whether any federal official, employee, or any other person or entity violated the law in connection with the intelligence, counterintelligence, or law enforcement activities directed at the 2016 presidential campaigns, individuals associated with those campaigns, and individuals associated with the administration of President Donald J. Trump, including but not limited to Crossfire Hurricane and the investigation of Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller III. So Kingmaker, Big If True, continues, and not just investigate it, but, another quote, if the special counsel believes it is necessary and appropriate, the special counsel, talk about Durham now, is authorized to prosecute federal crimes arising from his investigation of these matters, unquote. So, which federal employees or officials have been prosecuted in over three years of investigating? Only one, Kevin Kleinsmith, who walked away with a slap on the hand for altering a CIA email about Carter Page. If the Mueller report is any guide, therefore, Durham's final report would describe those potential crimes he investigated that involved federal employees and officials, what findings and conclusions were made, and most importantly, why there were no crimes deserving of charges. Thanks to Durham's disclosure in the Sussman and Danchenko cases of a small mountain of disturbing things about FBI conduct, we have a pretty good sense of some of the potential wrongdoing by federal employees and officials Durham examined. Durham would explain why no charges. Specifically, why wasn't anyone charged with false statements made to the FISA court by, among others, saying the dossier facts were verified, that they came from a Russian-based subsource when the FBI knew Danchenko was in Virginia, that Steele relied on a network of sources when Danchenko had told the FBI most were old school chums and drinking buddies, that the facts were objectively verified, although Danchenko told the FBI there were rumors, speculation of bar talk, etc., then Durham would have to explain why nobody was charged with making the same lies to the DOJ and to Congress in March 2017 to keep the bogus investigation alive. Durham would also need to describe the many instances of concealment and obstruction. These include the failure to comply 
with congressional subpoenas that should have unearthed the identity of Danchenko and the content of his FBI interview. Then there was the decision to pay him as a confidential human source, further burying him in his role in the hoax. Not to mention the $1 million bounty offered to Christopher Steele if he could verify anything in the dossier. On top of that, there were mysterious destruction of records, like the FBI agent who told Danchenko to wipe his phone, or the destruction of Agent Anderson's request about Dolan. Anderson testified that she learned from one of Danchenko's subsources that Charles Dolan, a Clinton associate who did PR work for Putin, was in fact a dossier source. She wanted to interview Charles Dolan, but someone in the Mueller team vetoed her and then destroyed her request. Pretty much the same thing happened with the Alpha Bank hoax investigation. Officials at FBI headquarters shut down agents' attempt to talk to the sources of the white paper and data the agents were asked to investigate. That might have led to the Clinton campaign, after all. Anyway, you get the idea. Durham would have to explain why none of these FBI agents and officials deserve to be charged, which places Durham in an awkward position. If he concludes there were crimes committed by these federal employees and officials, which there seem to have been, then Durham must also explain why he didn't bring charges as he was ordered to do by his original charter from Bill Barr. And that gets to the point of this thread. Devin Nunes argued on Maria Bartiromo's show Sunday morning on Fox News Channel that John Durham has been blocked by Attorney General Merrick Garland. Now, I don't know if that's true, but the law sets forth what takes place if the Attorney General forbids the special counsel from taking a certain action. The applicable section is 28 U.S. Code Section 600.9, requiring notification to Congress by the Attorney General if the Attorney General refuses such a request by the special counsel. The law requires the Attorney General to notify the chairman of the Judiciary Committees of both Houses of Congress and the ranking members of all instances, if any, in which the Attorney General concluded that a proposed action by a special counsel was so inappropriate or unwarranted. So this means that Durham isn't without ammunition if he's being blocked by the Attorney General. Durham would have to report that fact in his final report, which would include his analysis of why he believes the action proposed charges were justified. That then forces Garland to report. In other words, if Durham has been prevented by Attorney General Merrick Garland from carrying out Durham's mandate, the chairman and ranking members will be informed. That would undoubtedly trigger a Republican-led House to launch a full investigation by the House Judiciary Committee. In the meantime, Durham would be forced to resign as he could no longer carry out his mandate due to being blocked. I would expect that resignation to be somewhat noisy. On the other hand, the threat by Durham that he may set off 
that process could be enough to force Merrick Garland to back down and unblock Durham's proposed prosecutions. We'll all be interested observers, I'm sure. Yeah, I doubt that's going to happen. But anyway, that's what he says here. This could turn really ugly very fast. A Republican-led Judiciary Committee would have authority to inquire into what could appear to be an effort by the Attorney General to obstruct lawful prosecution of crimes committed by federal employees. I'm not sure what Garland's justification would be. Now, there's a postscript by a guy over on Twitter who simply calls himself Trust is Earned. And he says, prediction with nothing to back it up, after the midterm elections, a report will be sent to Congress documenting that Attorney General Garland blocked Durham special counsel maneuvering. This is all per the law establishing the special counsel office, which does not have a timing requirement to report to Congress. To clarify, the law says the Attorney General has to report this to the Judiciary Committee, including the ranking member, Jim Jordan, but it doesn't say how quickly. DOJ could well have talked itself into waiting until after the midterms as to not interfere in politics, so to speak. Well, there you have it. That is a a really deep dive into Durham and, um, and oh man, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's something, isn't it? It's something. Now, that having been said, you know what time that would make it. That's right. It's about time to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door. Anywhere in the continental United States of America. This is uh, former Congressman Ron Paul many, many years ago talking about the FBI and a little bit about the CIA. Uh, you know, most of our history, we didn't didn't have those institutions. The FBI came in uh, during the First World War. And interestingly enough, the one thing that Woodrow Wilson did, he used the FBI to spy on American citizens and actually arrest them if they disagreed with his foreign policy about going to war in Europe. And isn't it interesting how recent they used it in the Vietnam era? Democrats used it there. Republicans used the FBI to spy on a hundred different groups in this country, including the churches, who disagree with the policy in uh, Central America. It almost looks like the FBI was designed to spy on Americans 
Christians who might be disagreeing uh, with policy, especially the foreign policy. So the FBI, although I don't think I can condemn everything they've ever done, because I'm sure uh, some of the investigations and investigation of crime uh, has been beneficial, but that could be accomplished through Justice Department within our states. We wouldn't reject that uh, portion of it. I think the, the FBI has uh, kept and continues to keep a lot of records on a lot of individuals. The CIA has only been here since 1947. Their record is lousy. I mean, just think of the CIA used by the Democratic uh, administration to Obviously, he was about to say the word murder there, but for some reason, that's where the video cut off that somebody put up on uh, Twitter. Anyway, I hope that you have found this deep dive into um, what John Durham is doing to be edifying, beneficial. You've been listening to episode 262 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us. And we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Monday, October 17th, 2022.